So which of your children is your favorite? Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. It's a question to think about. We look at this passage and we think that it's primarily about favoritism. But the reality is that all of the main characters in this story are sinning in their own particular ways. Isaac and Rebekah show favoritism. Jacob and Esau show rivalry and hatred, anger toward one another. All of them are sinning in particular ways. The reason that I put the title of the sermon as Don't Play Favorites, and the reason that I want us to develop that further, is because Isaac's favoritism is more than just, this is my favorite child, this is my best friend, this is uh, the person that I'm closest to for this particular reason. The reason that it's such a big problem is that he is setting himself up in opposition to God's purpose here. So we saw the end of chapter 26, and we, we took those together with this chapter, uh, because this idea of Esau and his wives comes up three times in this section. Verses 34 and 35 of chapter 26, it comes up also in chapter 27, verse 46, where Rebekah says, I'm grieved, I'm tired of living because of Esau having married these Canaanite women. What if Jacob does the same? It comes up also at the, end, uh, the middle part of chapter 28, where it says, So Esau saw the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. In chapter 28, verse 9, Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives that he had, Maaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Why was it a big deal for Esau to marry wives from the land of Canaan? Particularly when you think about the fact that people in Abraham's family line, as we'll see in coming chapters, Laban and his family clearly are still practicing some forms of idolatry. You'll see in coming chapters, Rachel steals the household gods, right? The household idols, hides them in her, in her tent under, on her camel as she's riding along. So there's still some measure of idolatry even among Abraham's fairly close relatives. So why was it such a big deal for um, Esau to marry people of the land? Because he would have known what happened with Isaac. Abraham charged his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac, not from the people of the land. And Esau's taking wives from the people of the land was a direct contradiction of what he had known about both what God was doing in their family and a direct contradiction of what was going to be expected for the one who was going to be the heir of Isaac. And so, these actions of Esau indicate something about his character. And yet, Isaac refused to see it. If you look at verse, or chapter 27, verse 1, it says, When he was old and his eyes were too dim to see, he called Esau. Why would it have been a problem for Isaac to call Esau? Well, besides the fact that his choice of wives indicated him 
not wanting to be aligned with what we have seen so far in the story in terms of what was required, expected, planned for the one who is going to continue to be the heir of the promises that God had made to Abraham and then to Isaac. In addition to that, there was the earlier incident where he had sold his birthright. By a solemn oath, he had told his brother, the birthright is yours, I want nothing to do with it. And so when Isaac calls Esau and says, I'm going to give you the blessing of the inheritance, he can't receive the blessing of the inheritance if he's already passed off the birthright. We say, well, perhaps Isaac didn't know about that incident between his sons, although it was quite likely that he did. Well, think about even earlier. What had God said to Rebekah? And this was perhaps the strongest thing. The older will serve the younger. If that wasn't a clear statement about what God's purpose was in this situation with regard to who was going to be the heir, I mean, it, it was very clear. And again, perhaps someone might argue, well, Isaac didn't know. Maybe, maybe Rebecca didn't tell Isaac. She shows a pattern of deceit in this chapter, so maybe she just wasn't honest with him about this prophecy that God had revealed to her. But I think that's probably a little bit far-fetched. Most likely, Isaac is aware of all three things. God says the older will serve the younger. Esau had sold the birthright to his younger brother. And Esau is showing that he had no concern for being a part of what God was doing in their family line by marrying Canaanite wives. So why does Isaac decide he's going to bless Esau anyway. Look at verse 4. Prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Chapter 25 says something similar. Verse 28. Seven, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Verse 28, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. Why did Isaac love Esau? Isaac loved Esau because Esau could get him the things that he wanted. There's perhaps something to be said about favoritism in this regard. Favoritism tends not to be because a person is necessarily more deserving. It tends to be because showing extra attention to that person does something for us. Why is the teacher's pet in a classroom the teacher's pet? Because the teacher feels a sense of pride that here's the student that answers the questions right and really wants to be here when maybe some of the other students are kicking their desks and talking and not paying attention. This one makes me feel like I'm actually getting something accomplished. You're not showing favoritism to that child because necessarily that child is the most deserving. You're showing favoritism to that child because it makes you feel a certain way. Isaac is showing favoritism to Esau because Esau was a hunter. Hunters kill game. 
and Isaac loved the taste of gain. There's another interesting feature of this story in verse 2. Isaac said, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. Just thinking about the timeline of how things are unfolding. Isaac gets married at age 40, has children at age 60. We saw that in chapter 25. Some time has clearly passed because at the end of chapter 26, Esau gets married at the age of 40. If Esau gets married at the age of 40, 60 plus 40 means Isaac is probably in the neighborhood of around 100, which ironically is the point at which Abraham reckoned himself as good as dead with regard to um, the uh, possibility of God fulfilling the promise of a son, and yet his life was a great deal longer than that, right? If we think back to the death of Abraham, Abraham died at age 175. So Abraham's life was only 60% of the way done when he's 100. The same turns out to be true of Isaac. The end of chapter 35 says Isaac lives to be 180 years old. And he's 100, 110, somewhere in there, because it would be likely if Esau is getting married at age 40, uh, Jacob probably would be anticipating getting married around the same time in light of when Isaac got married. Why then does Isaac say, I'm old and I'm about to die? Perhaps it was the fact that his senses were failing. Perhaps it was a sense that he was not in control of the situation with his sons in light of the earlier incident with the birthright. We don't know for sure, but it's interesting that that's the perspective that he had, which turned out not to be true. Something else I want to highlight for you with regard to Isaac's state that I think the chapter contrasts in chapter 26, verses chapter 27. Look at chapter 26, verse 28. Why did the Canaanites want to make a covenant with Isaac? We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be an oath between us, even between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. There's an irony here that the Canaanites see clearly God's hand in blessing Isaac. And Isaac is being blind to God's purpose to bless Jacob and instead is wanting to bless Esau in his place. So now we come to the familiar part of the story. Esau, come here. Go kill a deer, go kill some animal in the field, make it the food that I really like. After I've eaten it and enjoyed that, I will give you the blessing. I was reading this passage and I was asking myself, why didn't he just give him the blessing to begin with, right? If he was planning to give the blessing, why did he have to have the meal that he wanted first? It'd be kind of like saying, um, you know what? I know that you need help with fixing your car, but I want to get Thanksgiving dinner first. So we're going to do that first, and then I'll help you. Even if you know the person deserves help, needs help, could use the help right now, I'm going to get what I want. There's a measure of selfishness here, right? So Isaac is expressing, uh, or the, the, the text is describing Isaac in terms of physical blindness, but I think there's a measure of spiritual blindness going on as well. 
And there's also clearly a measure of selfishness in what he's doing. Esau goes out, and ironically, Esau in this story is the son who obeys, who is doing what his father wants, all of those sorts of things. Like we think about the parable that Jesus gives in the New Testament. There's the son that says, I'm not going to do what the father wants. There's the son who says, I will do what the father wants. Esau here is the one who's doing what he's supposed to do. He's honoring Isaac. He's doing what he asks of him. He wants to receive this blessing. Verse 5. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. What is Rebecca up to? There is a measure of scheming and deceitfulness that we're going to see demonstrated by her throughout this, this chapter. There's a measure of disloyalty to Isaac. Now, perhaps she justified it in her mind by saying, I'm being loyal to the prophecy, the vision that God revealed to me, and I'm going to make sure that this happens the way it's supposed to happen. So perhaps there's a bit of pride in not trusting God that God could carry it out too. But here's her plan. Esau's supposed to go kill some game, bring it to Isaac, he's going to get the blessing. Let's beat him to it. Listen to me, my son, verse 8, as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. This raises another question. Why wouldn't Isaac recognize that he was eating goat instead of venison? One likely explanation is that his senses were failing more than just in, in his eyesight. And so he was at a point where even though he loved the taste of game, he couldn't really enjoy it like he had used to enjoy it. That's probably the simplest explanation. Uh, the other is that because of God's purpose having been declared that Jacob would receive the blessing, that God potentially blinds or dulls Isaac's senses even more because he is choosing to be guided by them in his decisions instead of being guided by God's stated purpose. We don't know which of those two things is going on, but both are possibilities. Jacob, notice, does not say, this is a terrible idea, I won't do it. He says, what if I get caught? Look at verse 11. Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. Jacob was not worried about whether he was actually being a deceiver. Jacob was worried about whether his dad would catch him at being a deceiver because he didn't want to receive a curse instead of a blessing. Rebekah reassures him. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. There's interesting parallels between this middle section and what we think back to the circumstances in the Garden of Eden. Go and get this food. Take it. Give it. Deception. All of these things going on. It's not an exact one-for-one -one parallel, but I think the way that the, the narrator is recording this story for us ought to call some of those things to mind. There's a clear sense that Jacob and Rebekah are in the wrong in what they're doing here, that they're being sinful. Verse 14, So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. 
And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She gave also the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. So the scene is set. Jacob's ready to go. He's ready to deceive Isaac. Verse 18, Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? It's a strange question with which to greet your son who's coming to see you, right? Perhaps not as strange, given the fact that it said his eyesight was failing, and perhaps his other senses as well. But uh, it's, it's interesting that he does not announce who he is, but he waits for the question from his father. And then verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. This is clearly a lie. He is not Esau. He is not the firstborn. He feels that he deserves the blessing, and that may be, but he is lying in order to receive it. Isaac is hesitant. How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he says, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Jacob is probably bordering on blasphemy here. Because God had nothing to do with it. His schemes and the schemes of his mother had everything to do with why this is happening at this moment so quickly after the request has been made. Isaac's still not convinced. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. It seems pretty clear that Isaac doesn't trust Jacob and is worried that Jacob may try to deceive him or that someone else may try to take advantage of him. And again, instead of pausing and saying something like, let me talk to God about this, or something along those lines, what is he doing? He's relying on his senses, which are failing to help him to discern the right and wrong in the situation. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Again, this raises the question of whether God is dulling Isaac's senses further because it seems strange that he can't tell the difference between a goat skin and Esau's arm, or that he would discover how it was fastened in some way, or something would, would give him a clue that things weren't quite right. And yet, he says, verse 24, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. There is perhaps the question of whether he was, uh, to a greater or lesser de degree, drunk at this point, and that's part of what dulled his senses. But, but up to this point, that hadn't taken place, so that wasn't clearly part of it. Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. Uh, this kiss was supposed to be a form of greeting, a sign of respect, even affection, and yet here it's a sign of betrayal. Again, we see a similar sort of betrayal with Judas toward Christ, someone who's supposed to be trustworthy, betraying the one who is his master. Here, we have a son who should have loved and honored his father, betraying his father through his deceitful scheme. The blessing. See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. 
May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. And blessed be those who bless you. We're going to contrast when we come a little bit further to the blessing that Isaac gives Jacob as he departs to see Laban. This blessing seems to be Isaac's attempt to thwart the plan that he anticipates God unfolding. Isaac wants Esau to be the one to be the heir because he's the firstborn. Isaac or wants potentially to undo what Esau has done in his foolish choice of saying, I'm going to give my birthright to my brother. And verse 29 particularly is ironic because perhaps he thinks in his mind, if I bless him, then maybe God is going to be obligated to change his mind about the thing he said was going to happen. If I say to Esau, you're blessed by God, and I as God's representative, the recipients of the promise say that your brother is going to serve you, then maybe Esau can escape the fate that God had already declared to Rebekah back in chapter 25. But that sort of thinking is pagan kind of thinking. The idea that if we use the right formula, we can sort of bend God to do the things that we want. And God's purpose clearly is accomplished, even though Isaac is trying for it not to be. Verse 30, It came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. I think this is the, the, the high point, the climax of the story. Isaac's best attempt to make sure that Esau is the one who receives the blessing has failed. Is he going to go back on his word and now bless Esau in place of uh, Jacob? Or is he going to say, what's done is done, it will stand, it is God's, word, God's will. He says... Yes, and he shall be blessed. It's not what I had planned. It's not what I was trying to do. It's not what I wanted, but it's done. Verse 34, When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. The book of Hebrews says something interesting in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. It says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears." Verse 34, he cried out with a great and exceedingly great and bitter cry. No! This wasn't supposed to happen this way. 
I'm the one that's supposed to have received the blessing. But it was too late. Verse 35, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Esau, of course, is ignoring his uh, responsibility in the first part of what had taken place. He said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives. I have given to him his servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. What blessing did Esau receive? Not a blessing. The words parallel that which God spoke to Cain. You'll be a wanderer upon the earth. What was spoken to Ishmael? You will be against everyone and live in the wilderness. Jacob would inherit blessing. Grain, livestock, children. Esau would inherit the desert wilderness. Which one of them deserved the blessing? Let me read for you a brief excerpt from Romans chapter 9. It says in Romans 9, And not only this, verse 10, but there was Rebekah also when she conceived by one man our father Isaac, for though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Neither one of them deserved God's choice. God chose Jacob because of what he was going to do in transforming Jacob from being a deceitful schemer into being the one who was going to be the father of his chosen people. And that had nothing to do with Jacob and everything to do with God. But God's choice was not something that Isaac could thwart. It was not something that Esau could thwart. And there is also the sense in which Esau is living in a wicked way and does not change. And Jacob is living in a wicked way but does change. And we see the effect of the grace of God in the course of both of their lives. What's Esau's immediate response, though, here in this chapter? Verse 41, So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Think of the story of Cain and Abel. 
There's jealousy in that story. There's jealousy in this story. There's anger, and there's an intent to murder that is actually carried out, and probably would have been carried out if people had not intervened in this story as well. When the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Was it just a few days? The better part of 20-some years. So uh, Esau's grudge lasts a long time. Until, he, until it subsides and he forgets what you did to him, then I will send and get you from there. Why should I bereaved, be bereaved of you both in one day? What's the reason that Rebekah gives to Isaac for sending Jacob away? Look at verse 46. Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now we come to the next blessing. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. We already read it earlier. He sends him away, but now he brings in God into the blessing, right? May God Almighty bless you. May he give you the blessing of Abraham. May you possess the land which God gave to Abraham. In the middle of the chapter, there is an unwilling, hesitant, fearful sort of blessing of Jacob, thinking that he's Esau. Now here at the end of this section, Isaac is willingly blessing Jacob because he has been willing to put himself under God's plan and purpose in this circumstance. Did Isaac and Rebekah's actions lead to greater unity and happiness for their family? Or did it continue to unravel and destroy their family? What did Rebecca actually think was going to, be, going to happen? It wasn't as though it was going to be years and years and years before Isaac realized that he had blessed Jacob instead of Esau. It was going to be hours at most. What did she really think was going to happen? What did Isaac really think was going to happen if he, year after year, showed love to one son and not to the other? But more importantly, what was going to happen when all of them continued to ignore what God wanted in favor of what pleased them? We end this story. Jacob is alive, but getting sent away, won't be back for decades. Esau wanders off in the wilderness and intensifies his disobedience and disrespect for his parents by adding yet another Canaanite wife to increase their sorrow and their frustration. And so instead of two sons, essentially they have none. It doesn't mean there was no contact whatsoever before the end of their lives, but they lose the company of their sons for a good part of the latter part of their lives. Isaac perhaps thought, if I am the one who blesses Jacob, Esau will hate me. But if he had done it, Maybe Esau wouldn't have hated his brother so much. So there was fear and there was sin connected with that fear as well. What then should we take away from a passage like this? God had a purpose that he wanted to accomplish in their family. It was Jacob to be declared the heir, to receive the blessing, 
to be the one who was going to succeed Isaac and be the next person that God was going to work through in the history of the people of God's people, the people of the, of the Israelites. And all the people in this story are kind of working against that goal, even though they end up accomplishing it in the end. What about for us? Does God want to do work in us, in our families? Ephesians 6 says, Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are clear indications that God wants people to to trust in Jesus, to turn from their sin, to be transformed into the image of Christ. Whether you have children presently or not, God's doing that work in all of us in this room if we are following after Him. And one of the big obstacles to that work being accomplished that we see in this story is favoritism that flows out of a spiritual blindness and an intense selfishness that is directing our actions. Favoritism is based on selfish desires. Isaac loved the taste of a particular type of food, which is a really shallow reason to say, I'm going to spend more time with this son than the other. But what about you and me? If you enjoy a particular thing, whatever it might be, and one of your children or one of your close friends enjoys that thing too, what are you likely to do? You're likely to focus primarily or only on that person to the exclusion of others. I'm not saying it's wrong to have friends. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a best friend. I do think it's wrong to show favoritism in your family. Because God has called us to minister to all of our children, all of those who are there close to us, not just the ones who are most like us or who do the things that we like or who can get something for us in some way. Favoritism is based on selfish desires. Favoritism can blind you to what God is doing or not doing. In this case, Isaac was so focused on the fact that Esau was a good hunter and could get him the food that he liked that he's not seemingly even aware of how far Esau is straying away from what sort of person he ought to be to be pleasing to God. Was there a possibility that Isaac could have done something differently such that Esau wasn't in a spot where he thought, eh, birthright, pot of stew, it's a one-for-one. Could Isaac have been more involved in Esau's life, teaching him more important things and not just taking advantage of him? Possibly. Obviously, this is the story as it stands, so we can't say what would or wouldn't have been. But there's clearly a lack of spiritual involvement of Isaac in Esau's life, such that he ends up the way that he is, as best we can tell from at least the way that it's portrayed in this story. Same thing with Jacob. If Isaac had spent different time, more time, better time, with regard to spiritual instruction and all of the other sorts of things, aligning himself with what God had said was going to be the purpose, even though it wasn't Isaac's plan, 
there's the possibility that Jacob would not have been so confirmed in his deceitful and scheming character as he was by this point in the story. And then a really important point as we come to the end here. Jacob does, or Isaac does what's right at the end of the story. He blesses the one that God wanted to be blessed. And he does so willingly. That didn't fix all of the mess that had already been created by all of the people in this story and their sinful choices. Esau's grudge lingers for 20 plus years. Jacob is more or less banished to go find a wife from his relatives when theoretically there was the possibility that he could have stayed at home and sent a servant to find a wife and bring her back there and they would have all been there together. Because that's what happened with Isaac. Rebecca, not wanting to lose Isaac or Jacob, loses Jacob and then eventually Isaac too and sort of passes off the scene of the story. And Jacob himself is set to wander and ironically be taken advantage of by his uncle in the same way that he took advantage of his father. And we see the interplay of sin and all of these other sorts of things. These relationships that were broken due to jealousy and bitterness took a long time to be fixed, and they ended up hurting the people that were trying to sort things out according to their own purpose and their own plan. So, what do you love that is blinding you to what is God is doing around you? The answer could be many things. I'll give you a brief example. Uh, when I, when the kids were really little and I was first interested in keeping fish, it became something of it was consuming far too much of my time. And I remember there was a day when um, Kelly was making supper, and she said, it's going to be ready at such and such time. And I just was going to be late because I had gone to pick up more stuff along those lines. And I realized that I was neglecting my family and my children because here was this thing that I was pursuing that really wasn't important. And the ironic thing was, I think by that point, I had in my mind this was an opportunity for me to witness to other people who were involved in this sort of thing, but I was living the same way they were, which was for their life to be consumed by something that was pointless. Glass breaks, silicone fails, fish die. What's the point of living for something like that? particularly when it is stealing time away from your wife, your children, your other responsibilities. I'm not saying I've done perfectly since then, but I've thought about that often since then. That's what Isaac was doing. He loved the taste of game, and it skewed the entirety of his relationship with his family. It even caused him to ignore what God wanted him to do for a time. So is there something like that in your life that's a hobby, that's something with your job, that's something that you love that is keeping you from the things that you ought to do, your responsibilities, and from 
being the right kind of parent or, or leader or church member or whatever else. What do you love? How does pursuing those things lead to jealousy among your family members? If I say, I like this thing, and one of my kids says, I like that thing too, and I spend most of my time with the one that likes the same things that I do, is that going to produce in the other ones that don't like the same thing that I do? That's going to take a long time to fix, if ever. You can't undo years and years of showing love to this child because they're the one that I like the best because they get me something that I want and neglecting the other ones because they don't participate in the same way with those things that I want. Along those lines, bringing Rebecca into it, what are your kids learning from your example? Jacob seems to have learned how to lie and deceive to some measure from his mother's example. Possibly from Isaac as well, because of the whole story of him lying about Rebecca being his sister. Maybe Jacob heard that growing up. We don't know for sure. But we look at this account and we see the effect that loving something, even a good thing, it's not wrong to say, I like venison. Nothing in and of itself sinful in saying that. But when it causes you to love one of your children more than the other, to oppose God's plan, to destroy your family through it, clearly that's a, a kind of idolatry, right? What is it for you? Do you show favoritism? We talked in James about favoritism toward people based on external appearance, but Really, it's the same kind of thing, right? The external appearance was the surface-level issue. The real reason people treated the other person differently was because they thought, this person will get me blank, and this person can't get me blank, so I'm going to spend time with this person. And it's the same thing here, except instead of broadly in the church, it's in the context of someone's family. But if we broaden it back out to the church... I am encouraged by how much of a family atmosphere there is in our church. Some churches I've been in or observed, it's very much like here's this group, and here's this group, and here's this group. And I don't see that here. But it's easy for that to creep in. I'll talk to this person about this thing because they like to talk about this thing. I won't talk to this person because they don't like that thing. And that same sort of shallow favoritism that can destroy families can also ruin churches. And so I say all these things not because I think that there's a particular problem that I've observed in any of our families or in our church as a whole. I say them because they're the things that are in the text right here and because the time to work on these sorts of things is before our kids are grown and gone. It's right now, if you find yourself slipping toward favoritism in your conversations with other people in the church, 
we need to say, what is God's purpose? God's purpose for Isaac was, bless Jacob. God's purpose for us is a whole host of things, including things like observing the Lord's table. But we will not be able to do those things well if our hearts are ruled by love for things that skews our relationships with people around us in such a way that it dishonors God and drives us away from doing what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a difficult passage. It's one of those things where you watch it and you wish that you could step in and, and grab the characters by the shoulders and say, why are you doing that? And then we look in the mirror, Lord. We can act the same way. Maybe we are acting the same way. Help us to examine our hearts such that we would see the sin in it, that your Spirit would point it out to us, that godly people around us would help us to acknowledge ways in which we might be living like the characters of this story, whether it's like Jacob, whether it's like Esau, whether it's like Isaac, whether it's like Rebecca, when what we're supposed to be doing is living like you. To be living like Christ, who said, not my will, but yours. And willingly obeyed and went to the cross, even as we were talking about in Sunday school. Lord, help us to be learning from these truths in a way that stirs our hearts, helps us to turn away from sin, and to follow you, that you might be honored. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.